Steve, Stu. hello. Stu. Are you there? Stu. Can you hear me? We've got a special guest. We have. He's, we waiting, have. he's waiting in the, the foyer so we can't fuck around for too long, all right? He's in the green room. He is in the green room, yeah. Did you give him crisps? I did. I did gave you? him the nice ones as well. Uh, They're not even like the cheap stuff. I kept my skittles to myself and I kept my Coca-Cola to myself, I know. He's a guest. I know, uh, but we can't afford to hang around, so I'm going to hit this button, all right? Okay. Stu. News. Stu. Stu. Yes. We've got a special guest. We have. (laughs) (laughs) Right, before we go, I just need to tell you what happened last week after, or the week before last, after the podcast. Uh, My Mm mum, as we know, our only listener. Our listener. Is an avid listener. listener. And she told me off. Oh, uh, what for? Uh, For swearing. Oh, surely not. She said, I think it's really good, but you don't need all that Billy Connolly swearing. She should hear you before the mic's being recorded. I know, I mean, what the <laughs> Tell me off, I'm 55 <laughs> years old and she's <laughs> telling me off, Mum. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got that out of your yeah, system. Yeah, I know. So there is no real news apart from the fact we've got someone on the show. Uh, we have, and it's... um. Not just anyone, and and uh, there is we have actually prepared a, a special intro. Um, so hopefully the uh, hopefully this will get the gravitas of the, uh, the 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 situation we find ourselves in of of actually being able to attract a real human being um, to actually appear on the podcast. So are you ready to do what you said you were going to do? Hold on. <coughs> me 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 me. Good, because okay, I've, I've got no idea what the 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 volume of this is going to be like, but we decided that. Um, because he was coming on, we needed to give him his own bed. Uh, so are you ready? Let's go. Let's count down. Three, two, one, go. In a week of outstanding achievements, when NASA landed a probe on Mars, aptly named Perseverance, we boldies have managed an astonishing landing of our own. Beaming across the country, powered by the interwebs, to join in searching for signs of intelligence in our podcast is head honcho of the N-World, or N-World, founder of the Ennies, author, designer, publisher, podcaster, 20th level RPG Supremo, and the only Morrissey you'd want on the podcast these days, it's only Drockin' Morris, aka Russ Morrissey. Yay! Hello, Russ. Oh, am I allowed to talk now? Yeah. <laughs> hey! You're allowed out of the green room. <laughs> so that was, that was, you got your own bed. Now, before we go any further. It's really comfy as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might, I might just fall asleep. <laughs> what you were going to get, but when we decided that we were going to do a wee bit of a chat over just to introduce you, we needed to extend it. But, but I did a wee bit of something for you because um, we felt it was important that you felt important. So I'm going to play you this. I played it to Stu and, and well, see what you think. And please, you can use it whenever you want. Are you ready? All right. Here okay. we go. That is yours. I want that to play every time I enter a room from now on for the rest of my life. You can have it. It's yours. amazing. <laughs> you can replace your doorbell with that. So you make you make it sound really important, but the truth is, quite literally, I'm just like 
this bloke you know from the pub that you managed to drag onto the podcast. Well, funnily enough, Russ, you are the bloke I know from the pub <laughs> that, I've, that I've managed to track onto the podcast. Stu, just to give you an idea, Russ and I, I say we know each other. We Here's how it happened. I, I play in a pub in Southampton called the Frog and Frigate, probably the best pub in the world. So I get up and occasionally sing and, and occasionally play guitar at the same time. And um, I have seen Russ at this pub going on, I don't know, would it be 20 years, Russ? I don't talk about my age in public, thank you very much. <laughs> but maybe for the longest time, I just used to see him standing at the bar nursing a pint. Now, <clears throat> to give you an idea, he's a good looking fella. He's normally in a tight T-shirt, like one of those T-shirts you'd imagine you'd have a, a packet of Lucky Stripe fags rolled up in the arm of the, <laughs> in the, arm of the T-shirt. And he never seemed to talk to anybody, he never really said anything, and then got himself a, a beautiful woman and became a little bit more friendly, and we would do this at the bar. All right? <laughs> All right? Which extended to things like, can you play this? Can you play that? <laughs> in fact, his wife has probably said more to me than he has. Invariably, I play American Pie at the end of the night, and she just goes, fuck off. Yeah, she hates that song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's how we know each other. Um, the reason I'm front-loading all my talking now is because RPG, Stu, is your thing and Russ's thing. I'm in the back seat doing what I normally do during our RPG sessions, and I'm just going to throw in the occasional crap joke, all right? So you're at the steering wheel, Stu. You can do what you like. So does this mean that partway through, you're going to ask me to explain a rule, which we've already gone through three or four times? It's it's possible. Um, I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. There you go. That's what I'm just going to press that button <laughs> all the time. <laughs> or this one. You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> so you got all the toys today. I just I I was on YouTube ripping stuff off like you've never heard. This one. If you haven't got your health, you haven't got anything. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So, I, I, like I say, I'm just going to go quiet because when you have a guest on, it's pretty rude for the two co-hosts just to talk and talk and talk and not give him any space to say anything. And I know you've got a book's worth of questions, so I'm going to sit back. You take over me. Okay. I, I do have one or two. So, um, Russ, welcome aboard. Thank you. Really excited to have you along. I, um, so I will show you my sort of, um, although Steve says I, I do like RPGs, but I I will give a little bit of background because um, it will explain some of my ignorance, which will no doubt be shown throughout this. Well, um, to be fair, though, this is a board game podcast. If you start talking about board games, my ignorance will start to show up as well. Excellent. I, I've, I've, I've had to ask someone to give me some like buzzwords to drop in to make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Steve, if so, we can turn this on to Monopoly, we're on a winner. <laughs> I decided to, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we had a bit of a sort of a, a chat or two over Messenger and I sort of did a bit of searching on the interwebs and um, I was looking at your achievements um, and the things that you've done because I thought it was really important to make myself feel quite inadequate. And um, it turns out that was the way to go. You, you're basically the role of honour is uh, incredible um, from creating your own systems um, to founding the, the, you know, the founder of the Ennies. Um, mm. That was, I have to say, that was a, a uh, quite a surprise to me. Um, by the way, is it, I always say E-N world and I think, is it N world? 
No, it is Ian, yeah, yeah. Ian, because it's someone's initials, and he, he was called Eric Noah. Well, he still is called Eric Noah, in fact. He's still, he's still alive. But, um, uh, yeah, he wasn't called N. He was called E-N, Eric Noah, E-N. So that, that's cool, because I thought that when I did the, the uh, intro, I thought, oh, I've, I've managed to, to nerf that. And Sorry, who, who is he? So he is a guy who started a D&D website back in 19, I want to say like 99-ish, some, around then anyway. And uh, he did it for a couple of years and I kind of inherited it off of him. And that's kind of how I got my start in the industry. So, but did you start off as uh, just sort of a, if you like, a regular Joe, a sort of a fan or, or you, do you always harboured uh, your, you know, intentions and plans to to be a part of the industry. I don't. Uh, I think it happened accidentally, really. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, it just, I just kind of fed into it because I was working at um, uh, Scandia, which is um, a Swedish insurance company in um, in Southampton, and I don't, I don't know how it happened. And then one day, I just quit my job and just decided to start doing this instead. This was like 20 years ago. Actually, just one day, he thought, do you know what? I'm going to become a D&D guru. Uh, yeah, kind of, kind of, yeah, ish. That's yeah, cool. sort of. <laughs> did you did you roll for it or? <laughs> yeah, of course I did. <laughs> why, why, why wouldn't you make all of your life important <laughs> life decisions by rolling a dice? But I'm assuming, uh, I'm assuming that, that you were immersed in D&D from a young age. Yeah, yeah. I played when I was at school, so it's about 10 years old, maybe. Right. 11, something like that. Secondary school. When I started secondary school, I think it was. And you've managed to sort of play, and you'd have played various versions of that time, and you've you've just kind of, has D&D sort of been quite a, uh, a constant thing that you've always played? Or have you sort of, I mean, obviously you've created your own systems, and, you know, I'm sat here with a copy of Judge Dredd and the Worlds of 2000 AD um, sitting here in front of me. Um which is, you know, it's excellent. Um, was D&D something that stays, tr- uh, you know, sort of like a common sort of game that you've played all the way through? Or have you been sort of going off and trying lots of different things? So, well, D&D is the one that everybody knows. So it's really easy to find people to play D&D. So it's always going to sort of be there as the most common game that you're likely to play. But yeah, like over the years, I've just tried to play as many different things as I can. And at what point, so this sounds like some bit of a grinning here. This is <laughs> yeah, a right. more of a light toasting. Um, so at, at what point, because I'm fascinated. So as someone who, uh, similarly, so I was in school um, and I, I, in fact, um, I don't know if I ever got to play it, but I got a copy of Gamma World, I think, in 1983. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I've mentioned a couple of times before, but it's... Um, so you're slightly older than me, I can tell from you saying that, because that's like yeah. before my time. <laughs> I've, I thought the kind of the, the wheeze and the uh, lack of hair like you. <laughs> uh, I think he's turned, yeah. he turned the toast round there. Yeah, Steve. that was very good, that, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Oh, you said toast, and now I'm really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that was a game that I'd, I... And I, I've never actually got it to the table. Um, I have a couple of copies of it, but I've never actually got to play it because I also, uh, around that time, got into um, I got into like hip hop, and that became the thing for me. It's like collecting yeah. records and all that kind of jazz and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a slam. I, there's a slam there, dude. I think you're missing yeah. a trick. Hip hop D and D. Well, no, I, it I, probably it probably exists out there somewhere. <laughs> I have got an idea for a game, but I couldn't possibly give it away to our listener. So, um, but that wasn't you, Russ. I mean, but the, the actual one listener we have. 
So I kind of went away and it was only fairly recently, um, actually really since the event of lockdown. So you've got at least two listeners because I listen too. Oh, there we go. Yeah, so there you yeah. go. You've got, you've got two listeners. I feel like we've made it, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes log out and then listen to it and log back in just to get oh, the oh, play in there. That's you know? three That's three <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Artificially inflated. I can't get my mum to, to listen still, but that's because she can't work technology. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I only came back to sort of play in really in the last year or so with lockdown and everything because um, we weren't able to play board games. Um, and, you know, and Steve will... Uh, kind of got Steve and a couple of other guys together and start playing on uh, Roll20 and uh, oh yeah yeah yeah, we're doing that at the moment too and do you know it's fascinating I was going to ask you something actually so I read something in the OR report or the OR report oh yeah yeah um, that was done and I I thought this was an incredible stat right so on Roll20 53.26 campaigns of D&D yeah I mean it's been like that for about seven or eight years now as well and then, but you look at the next one and you think, well, is anybody catching up? You've got Call of Cthulhu is the next sort of named one with 11.3%. Yeah. Well, there's, there's two reasons for that. One is Call of Cthulhu is massive in Japan. I mean, oh, okay. it's, it's the biggest RPG in Japan. And apparently, like, the uh, Japanese language edition of Call of Cthulhu outsells, like, every other language, including English, combined. So it's, like, massive over there. So you've got a lot of Japanese people playing, uh, playing Call of Cthulhu. And also, you know Critical Role... Yeah, which is like um, they 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 play D and D normally, but uh, Call of Cthulhu got this big big sort of boost about two years ago. I think like 2017, 2018. I, I can't remember when it was exactly. But anyway, uh, they did a they did a they did a game of um, Call of Cthulhu on Critical Role as well. So they got a big boost because you know appearing on Critical Role is massive. They're, you know, they're so, audience. so influential. So, yeah, so those, those two factors. And also um, the other contender for second place would normally be Pathfinder. But um, most of the people who play Pathfinder don't do it on Roll20. They do it on this new platform called Foundry, which I haven't tried, but which is apparently better suited for Pathfinder. I don't know how or what, but uh, so that's the reasons for that. And I, and I suppose, you know, with, uh, as you say, you know, it'll be interesting to see with the the move to online play, whether um, whether there's going to be any sort of, you know, shift, um, maybe not on Roll20, but maybe we'll see more, um, you know, other campaigns on, on other platforms. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I only first ever played online like a year ago when, uh, when the whole lockdown thing happened. So it was Zoom and Roll20 and didn't like it at first. And I'm still not, 100% sure about it because you know I do like being with my friends around a table just like having a laugh and stuff like that but you know it needs must and it seems alright it works kind of yeah and it's it's um so I'm the flip of that so I've I've never actually run a game in person so I've played a couple of games because I've literally only played a couple of games face to face oh right yeah. um, and then my introduction is I think I played something in Gen Con the online Gen Con last year. Oh yeah. And that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. made me think, oh, I'd, you know, I might try and run some games. So I've never, I've never played face to face. Um, and that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to, to see how different it is. It does um, feel different. Yeah. It, one, one of the problems I have with playing online with Zoom and stuff like that is because you're sitting there and you're sitting at your computer and it's really hard not to get distracted and start browsing stuff and looking at stuff. It's like, you know, like a normal, if you look at the pub or something, and you just take your phone out and start looking at it. It's sort of like a bit rude, I suppose, isn't it? But everyone does it. 
But when you're when you're playing on Zoom, no one can tell. You yeah, <laughs> you sit there browsing. You suddenly realise you've missed ten minutes, and you can kind of read. So you can kind of read the room differently. I, I I suppose as well when you're when you're actually sort of running the game, you can. I suppose you can tell where people's interest is kind of. Uh, you know, as you say, distracted, or if perhaps they're not picking up on something, and that you're trying yeah, to, to yeah. run the game. So can I can I ask yeah, a question? Of, can I ask a question then? No, so, no, no. So, it's your. It, it might be your podcast, but you can't ask any questions. I, yeah, you, that's just but out, board game boy. Right. <laughs> I, I want to know when you're playing face to face because Stu has taken quite a bit of time to build maps to give us visuals when we're playing online. But mm-hmm. when you're playing face to face with your buddies, is it? I mean, do you have a map of the land that you're exploring, or is it purely generated by your descriptions? You can have. It's basically entirely up to you. Like different people have different styles. So I tend to um, try to avoid having too much map wise on the, on the table because people focus on that. Right. And uh, in, in my my mind, I prefer like the focus to be like a, a first, you know, like a first person shooter, a first person point of view. Yeah, yeah. I prefer people to be imagining that rather than looking down on it like a board. Sure. Because I, I feel like the, the, the other way, the other way is more immersive. But, you know, it's different styles and different people like different things. So, you know, whatever works for you. And do you use um, uh, do you kind of use like miniatures and all that kind of stuff, or do you go for the whole hog with scenery and all that? Or, or? Uh, I don't think that much. I do. We do use minis, um, but yeah, scenery we don't. We just have one of those dry erase grid boards and just like felt tips and just like draw draw shit on there and then wipe it off again. Huh. <coughs> yes. Steve, don't get too excited. I've got a like, I've got a whiteboard with some magnetic markers. Uh, and that's it. <laughs> well, we might so, be getting a whiteboard soon because Maria said uh, we need a whiteboard. If we're going to shop online, we need a whiteboard so we can stick the reminders up. Of, so I, I can probably get a hold of that once a week, maybe. Okay, I'm I'm struggling to see the link between the whiteboard and shopping online. Well, because <laughs> I can wipe record- the white, I can wipe the whiteboard off, get rid of the the iceberg lettuce, and um, draw a map. There you go. <laughs> Like I said, uh, I might as well just not contribute at, at some points along no, the way. It's, it's very uh, good. Thanks, thanks for joining us, Steve. No, really. Um, I, I, I want to hear more about this whiteboard and the iceberg lettuce. To be honest, <laughs> this feels like this feels like you're larping, Steve. That you're on the uh, a quest for the iceberg lettuce. You have to draw a map I, to online enlightenment. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. I wish, <laughs> never, I wish I'd never mentioned it. Um, so, so my question is: um, you, you're looking at your stuff, Russ. Um, it, it mentions five um, E. Is that right? Uh, yeah. it, so it's fifth edition. Um, now, what's the difference between? And I'm assuming there's an edition one, two, three, and four as well. Uh-huh. They haven't just leapt. You know, from Star one, Wars one to five. Although you've given me an idea now, I might write a new game and just start with number five, <laughs> just to confuse the hell out of people. So, what is that? What is that progression representing? Well, you think of it just like a, I don't know, like a, a model of a car. You know, like every few years, the car just gets a little bit better, a little bit slicker, and a little bit, and like styles change as well. So, be- better is maybe not the right word, but. You know, styles change. So back back in like the 1970s, which is before I started playing, because I'm not as old as you people. Yeah. <laughs> <And> Nicely done. <laughs> and um, what was I? I've forgotten what I was saying. What was I saying about not being old? Um, 
yeah, it was kind of like um, a lot more war gamey. So like the first editions of D&D were like a direct descendants of war games. So okay. it was kind of all about exploration of a dungeon and you kind of like start off outside a dungeon, then you go into the dungeon and you kill everything and take its stuff. Yep. And that was kind of all it was back then. And then o- over the years, A, the rules just developed and just got slicker and better and uh, and less... Uh, more, more, cohe- more cohesive, I guess, is the way to the way to say. Yeah. Because it used to be like a, a, a collection of like a hundred different rule systems just trying to mash together, and now you kind of get more like one core central mechanic which applies to everything. So there's more more cohesiveness in the rules, and um, and also just taste change. You know, it's uh, uh, it's just like you know a, a car changes over over forty years, and a game changes over forty years too, and it just looks and feels kind of different nowadays. So I know that you've done the the Judge Dread stuff, yeah. Um, but is your, you know, do you return to what in my head is traditional D anD D with, um, you know, the the thieves and the rogues and, and the yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like on yeah Thursday nights we play that. Um, every Thursday night at the moment we're playing uh, Pathfinder, which is a a D anD D spinoff. So yeah, we're playing. Yeah, I don't know. I'll ever stop playing, even no matter how much I designed for myself. Because D and D was my first game, and was probably most people's first tabletop RPG. It's always going to be like special. It's always going to be you know that game you always go back to. Yeah. Okay. You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> Very good. So thinking about D and D, I'm always interested because to me, um, and we kind of touched upon this already in terms of like the the how popular it is, but. You know, D and D is a bit like you know. We say, um, you know, I'm going to go and get the Hoover. You know, it, it's a brand. It's a thing. It's not actually, it's not actually the whole hobby. But for a lot of people, D and D is um, is tabletop role playing games. Definitely, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do you think that is? Uh, and as someone who is a creator and a writer of games, and and I know, um, and I will give this a plug now because uh, you've got uh, a Kickstarter running at the moment. Mm. Uh, for one-page adventures for D&D 5e. So yeah. um, I think it's running until 9th of March, I think. Uh, if you say so, yeah. Yeah, well, let's, we'll <laughs> just say it's that. 9th of March. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so as someone who creates um, not only in D&D, you, obviously you create in your own systems, you create outside of that. Do you think that uh, sort of dominance of D&D is a healthy thing or do you think it, or do you think something that's going to change or do you think it will always be um, the dominant force in, in tabletop role playing? I think it probably always will be because it pretty much historically always has been. There's been times like occasionally where, um, where games overtook it briefly, but D and D always came back, but yeah, it's always going to be like the 800 pound gorilla in the room. And um, I think that's all right because it's, it is a sort of cottage niche industry anyway. Uh, but D&D is basically produced by Wizards of the Coast, which is owned by Hasbro. So when you've got a big, big um, uh, company behind it like that, they're able to expand the industry and the hobby in ways that a small company like mine can't possibly do. Do you know what I mean? I, can, I, I, I can't reach millions and millions and millions of people worldwide and get critical role play in my games and all that sort of stuff. I can't, or, or get my games mentioned on TV or anything like that. So that's a good thing, I think, that there's someone out there that can do that. And for the hobby, that means that they get to be kind of like the gateway drug. They get to like uh, be the people that expand the hobby, bring new people in. And then I get to sit there and I think, well, those all those people that uh, Wizards of the Coast is bringing in, they're my future customers. Yeah. 
So yeah, I think it's a good thing, definitely. And, and what's the, what's that challenge look like then? Trying to so um, although I'm playing in a I playing in a game on D and D. You've been playing on a Wednesday night. Um, uh, just a quick mm. hello to Waterdeep Removals. Uh, you know who you are, um, <laughs> and they've in fact given me a couple of questions to ask you. Um, the actual games I've been running myself, I've I've almost deliberately deviated away from running D&D because yeah. I wanted to see what else is out there. And actually, I'm play, uh, I play systems which D&D 5e isn't the most crunchy of systems, but I've been playing kind of lighter systems to introduce kind of Steve and the guys to play in. Yeah, um, yeah. But as someone who creates games and, and um, you know, writes... Um, what what does that challenge look like about trying to harness that uh, sort of excitement of bringing people in on D and D and then then getting them to play your own products or, or other products? Well, the hardest part is always going to be persuading people to play something other than D and D. That's the mm. that's the challenge, and it is it can be difficult sometimes because uh, learning how to play a role playing game is not super. You know, it's not it's not rocket science, but it's not it involves some effort. And so you've got to try and persuade people that it's worth investing the effort in to get your book, read it, learn how to play that game. And then but again, when, when they're thinking, well, I already know how to play D&D, I can just play that and I'll just have fun with that instead. So it is, it is yeah, it is, it is difficult getting people to do that. But the, uh, clearly there is, uh, you know, as I said, I'm sat here with uh, Judge Dredd and I've looked at, you You know, you're producing other games outside of that. Clearly there is uh, enough of an audience out there then to to get people sort of playing other systems and other games. And perhaps there are things that D&D thematically doesn't cover then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, different games accomplish different things. Like there's a, a alien RPG based on, you know, like the alien films. Yeah. And, stuff. and it's so, so different to D&D. And one of the cool things about it, in, it's got like built into it, this stress mechanic. And like your characters get more and more stressed as as the game goes on. And you've got this sort of like uh, ability to exchange stress for bonuses. So you can get extra rolls, but you get more stressed as you do so. And it's really, really clever in the way that that really adds to the tension of the game in a way that I don't think D&D could give you that level of tension. And then there's this other game, it's called Dread, and it's been around for quite a long time. It's really, really simple. So uh, basically, the uh, resolution mechanic of the game is a Jenga tower. So each time you want to do something that, you know, might be in doubt, you've just got to take a, a, a what should we call it, a block out of the Jenga tower. So as the game goes on, every time you're doing something, you're getting tenser and tenser and tenser because you know sometime soon this block's, this Jenga tower is going to fall. And because it's used for a horror game, which is what Dread is, and especially if you turn the lights down a little bit, it totally, totally adds to like the tension in the room the, in, a, in a way that I don't think D&D could ever do. Huh. That sounds pretty cool, actually. Knowing our, um, knowing how good probably we are at dexterity games, Steve, then uh, <laughs> that could be an interesting one. Yeah. I won't have to learn too many rules for later on in the game for that if we played it. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the cool thing about that game. That's the only rule. It's just every time you want to do something, the, you know, might be in doubt, you take a block out. And if, you, if, you, if your Jenga tower falls, you die. You die? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the, you, the, no, you the player die. Yeah, it's, <laughs> no, uh, I, I understand that. But what, I, what I mean is, so, so how, many, how many blocks are in the tower? It's just a regular Jenga tower. It's a normal one. Oh, right, okay. So, but Dread's kind of designed around sort of like one-shot games. So you, you're not going to play the same 
character week after week after week like no. you do in D&D. You just play it for like, more, more like a board game, you know, you get it out and you play one adventure and some people are going to die along the way. Okay, so here's my uh, question. I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. What is the difference between the the D&D rule sets that you're talking about and this, what, what's all this new stuff? Uh, what are you playing? You're playing D&D, right? No, what are you playing at the moment? So we're in the middle of a game of romance of the perilous land. Oh, right, okay. At so, the moment. Yeah. So, I mean, just the, I mean, just the core mechanics. So D&D, you roll a 20-sided dice, a T20, and you try and beat a certain number. And if you roll that number or higher, you succeed at what you're doing. That's basically the core rule of D&D. Yep. Some other, there's some nuances to it, but that's basically the core rule. Uh, in what sort of is new, which is my game, um, the higher you, you roll all D6s, uh, six-sided dice, and the more, uh, the higher your rank is in a skill, that's how many dice you roll. Right. And uh, so, you know, you might have uh, sort of a, a score of like 4d6 in um, um, strength or something. So you're trying to break down a, bo- a door, you roll 4d6. So the, the more dice you roll, the better. And then uh, it, uh, in Sword is New, you sort of get dice added or taken away from that pool of dice, depending on complications. So like you're climbing a cliff maybe, and uh, you have to roll 3d6 to climb the cliff, but it's pissing down with rain. So you lose a dice. So now you're rolling 2d6. Right. But but you've got a rope, so you get an extra dice. So now you're rolling 3d6 again, sort of like that. Okay. And where'd, when did how did this come to you, this this what's all this new thing? What what is it that inspired you to think, do you know what? I'm I'm pissed off we're rolling a d20. I want to roll <laughs> I want to roll some d6. Well, you know, I'm I'm allergic to dodecahedron. <laughs> no, I don't even know if a 20-sided is a dodecahedron. I'm just guessing now. <laughs> whatever 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 that is. I'm a, no. So, um like back in 86ish, um there was a Ghostbusters RPG. Right. And it was uh, a dice pool game, like what I just described. And it was the first ever dice pool game. And uh, it was kind of like a rules light. It was fun. It was fast and friendly and cheerful. And you didn't really die in it. And you just had fun and hunted ghosts. And it was all action comedy and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so that was the first dice pool game. And I loved that mechanic back then. And it's kind of stuck with me. And then like the first Star Wars RPG from West End Games a few years later, made by the same company, was also a dice pool game. So the, that mechanic has been around for years, right. just in kind of different different iterations sort of thing. So I can't I can't claim to have invented it. I mean, I can claim to have invented it, but I'd be lying. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, I, I stole it basically. I guess is the is the is the short version of that. Borrowed it, inherited it, stood on the shoulder of giants. However you want to put it. And did you did you steal it with a, a specific genre of game in mind? I mean, I don't know what the what's all this new. Was it a space thing? Was it a D and D style thing? Was it something else? So originally it was a space thing. Originally it was supposed to do like Star Trek and Star Wars and all that stuff. Okay. Uh, and then there was a second book, which was supposed to do Tolkien and D&D and fantasy and that sort of stuff, which was 100% compatible. So you could you, you could just play Star Trek or you could just play sort of Lord of the Rings sort of thing. Or you could grab a Balrog and stick it on the Starship Enterprise if you want, because they use the same rules and it's 100% compatible. 
So that was the basic idea of the thing. And then um, I added a third book, which is kind of like modern day action thriller, James Bond and the A-Team and, you know, just kind of, um, yeah, like more contemporary stuff. And that also is 100% compatible. So you can mix and match any of it to make whatever you want. Cool. Basically. Wow. Okay. So when you've like designing the system, um, mm. and this is one of the guys in the D&D group was asking this actually, is how do you know when to stop? How do you know, um, and I can't remember, they did quote a, a version of D&D to me, which they felt had been, um, was basically been over-designed. Um, mm. I can't remember which one they were talking about. And they were, and they were really interested to find out when do you draw the line when you're making a system that says that is pitched just right. And, and how do you get to that point that you say, that's it, it's designed, it's, it's honed to a level that I think it's, it's streamlined and it's ready to go. So I think, like, in your head... You never stop. You're still, like, I'm still, you know, in the part, a little corner of my mind is, is, is like working on it right now, even, even though the game's been published for years. But I think there's this saying, and I don't know who it was, but it's like, um, perfect is the enemy of good. So you, you're never going to get, oh, it's the, it's the enemy of complete. Like you're never, you're never going to finish it if you're aiming for perfection. So you have to you have to accept that what your goal is is a good game, not a perfect game. And at some point, you just got to say, right, this game is now good enough, and I could keep tweaking it for like the rest of my life, and making tiny, tiny little changes and incremental adjustments and stuff like that that nobody but me is ever going to notice. Or I can just say, right, I'm done. You've got to you got to stop now. This is it. It's good enough. Put it out there. Move on. Do something else. And that I think is kind of like the more healthy thing to do i guess is that is otherwise you could just keep going forever i mean i could easily so we're going to get the the george lucas wine <laughs> yeah 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 where, where hand does not shoot first yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know edit it yeah so with that um so with wine you use that to um because i'm really interested as well because you talked about you can apply these games to different themes um mm. And it's kind of two questions that immediately leap to mind for me. Um, the first one, which is, and this will be, I think, probably specifically, I'm thinking around um, working with um, Rebellion on Judge Dredd, mm-hmm. is what's the challenges when you're trying to balance your system and theme? Um, and then how does that change? Or does that change when you're then working with someone with an established IP such as 2000 AD, where you're having to make your system support a pre-existing sort of character and story? Mm. So I think it's kind of lucky in that when I was originally designing the system, Judge Dredd was one of my influences. So when it came to applying it to Judge Dredd, it wasn't that hard because it was kind of already slightly in the DNA there. It was, you know, it wasn't a Judge Dredd game by any means, but definitely my Judge Red fandom crept into it. Oh, what does that, sorry, def- sorry, Russ, what does that mean? Yeah. You said it was already, it was already kind of in the DNA of the thing. In what sense, w- when you're developing a rule set, do you think, you know, I Judge Dredd is, is the thing that I like. What are you looking at? Are you looking at weapons design or, you know, the, the, the strength of characters or. That's that sort of thing. Yeah. So like you can, you, you can look at, different genres of, um, of of fiction and stuff and different games are going to model different genres of fiction totally differently sort of um, some some things are really kind of gritty and you get stabbed once and you die other things you know you could fall off a 200 
foot cliff and just get up again and walk away. And that's just the way different games approach reality or trying to simulate reality or not simulate reality or whatever it is they do. Right. Um, so in your he- in my head, when I was designing this, I was like, I had a number of things where I was thinking, right, I need it to be able to do this. I need it to be able to do Star Trek and Star Wars. I need it to be able to do Judge Dredd. I need it to be able to do um, Tolkien. And, st- and, and, you know, so you've got these things in your head. So when you're designing things, you don't make it so the the way the universe, it sounds, it sounds really weird, the way the universe resolves itself directly contradicts kind of like the fiction and the physics in those universes you're trying to emulate. Does that make sense at all? I don't know if I'm even making any sense. No, no, it, it does. I mean, I, I'm just curious, you know, you, you're talking about it spanning different genres. Mm. And, I, and I, what I'm trying to get a handle on is somebody, so if they were to read, what am I trying to say? Is there a rule book that is, the basis of everything that doesn't relate to a genre um, where, and, and someone could read that and go, ah, I understand how that then relates to Judge Dredd and how it relates to Star Wars and how it relates to... That's obviously a crap question. <coughs> well, you mean, have I published a rule book that's... Well, just, just, you're saying that, that this rule set or yeah. it, it, it can be applied to different genres of games. Yes. So what does someone who decides that they want to do, I don't know, Tales of Peter Rabbit based on your rule set, what is it that they are getting from that rule set? What is it telling them? Is it telling them, you know, the physics of things? Is it telling them? Right, okay. So, okay, I I, I get what you mean. So, right, one thing that my rule set can't do then, let me me take it from the opposite angle could not do, like, superheroes like the Avengers or Superman or anything like that. Just couldn't do it. The rule system just wouldn't handle it, how how it would handle super strength and people being completely invulnerable to stuff and all that, all that malarkey. Right. Couldn't, couldn't do it at all. So that, you know, when I'm thinking about when I'm designing it, what fiction do I want to be able to emulate with it? Definitely superhero stuff was not in that mix because the rules would have ended up looking very, very differently yep. if, I, if I'd if i wanted, like, some kind of expanding strength scale that went up to, you know, however strong Superman is. So, like, characters aren't going to get any stronger than human beings can, sort of, in real life. Maybe a little bit of exaggeration, you know, but they're not, they're not, they can't possibly emulate Superman in any way. Okay. So that's that's kind of what I mean. So it's kind of the boundaries and the limits of where you put stuff and the scales you use. So if you use a, a thing that's a scale of 1 to 12 or, you know, whether... There's a, there was a game back in um, the 80s again, and this is the Hero System, which is DC Comics yep. um, super, uh, superhero stuff. And each stat in that game, as you got an extra point, it basically meant your, your ability was doubling. So if you had a strength of 1 and someone had a strength of two, they were twice as strong. And someone with a strength of three was twice as strong as a person with a strength of two. And someone with a strength of four. And as you can guess, it kind of like escalates really quickly. Um, and so that is able to modify a mu- uh, sort of like represent a much, much bigger range of ability than something that just goes like from one to 10 and, you know, 10 is twice as strong as five is. It's two different scales entirely. One's like an exponential scale, one's a linear scale. So they're, they're modeling two different laws of physics basically in the game so is yours it, it, would you say then that yours is grounded in 
the human world then, is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, maybe, maybe a little heightened, but not superhero heightened. Do you know what I mean? So Right, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so probably like everyone could be Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever, or, but then not Superman. That's the kind of thing, I think. Which I think is quite, which is quite interesting because as you say, you know, if you've got an exponential scale where you eventually come up against someone who is 50 times stronger than you, then you're, you're fucked, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that had quite a, I, I haven't played it in years, but you just have to use a different ability. So like if you were, I'm trying to remember how it works. So if you're Superman, you're super strong and then you're Batman and you're super clever then you'd end up rolling your intelligence versus his strength, so right. you outthink him rather than arm wrestle him. Right. You know okay. what I mean? So yeah, yeah. So it still it still kind of works. You just have to use different things. Right. Steve, don't worry. You'd still be able to roll crap rolls or whatever we're playing. Honestly, whatever you're, <laughs> you're on I've, safe ground there. I think is it it's it is it rule twenty used for the dice. Honestly, yeah. it is it is arse kickingly depressing <laughs> when we do that. <laughs> Honestly, I often wish that I was just rolling actual physical dice because we sit there and we roll and roll and it's just depressed sigh after depressed sigh. <laughs> the, the thing yeah. is as well, because we're playing a game that you've got to roll under, there's an amazing amount of nat 20s that come out. Um, and yet when you play D&D, then they're all nat 1s. So how does it know as well? How does it? It's, it's watching you. It knows. Yes. Not happy about it. Sorry, uh, Stu, I monopolised that for a bit there, mate. Do you no, no, jump you back carry in? on. Uh, well, uh, the next question I was going to ask, kind of leading on, because I'm really interested about having a system that kind of underpins lots of different things. And it was really a, a question around sort of homebrewing or people hacking kind of your materials and games that you've come up with. And yeah. and as someone who creates... So I, I will freely admit, I go around and for the games that we are playing at the moment, I sort of hack maybe scenarios out of different games um, yeah. or stuff like that and adapt them. Um, so, you know, I'm... So I... It sounds like I'm being terribly fanboy here, but say so the one-page adventures with D&D 5e, the kickstart you've got running... Yeah, my my intention of that is I might not use that for D and D. I might hack it around and use it as a basis for some of the games that we we might play in other systems. But as a creator of mm. that, what does that what is that experience like? This is like someone sampling your your record and sort of like playing it into something new. How, you know, how does that feel? You know, what's your how do you feel about people homebrewing or or hacking your material? So I can't speak for anybody but myself, but I love it. I think there's, there's nothing better, in fact, than seeing people doing that because that means they're invested in what you did. And if mm. they've taken the effort to actually take it and start doing stuff with it that you hadn't even thought of doing with it, that's just like, I don't know, it's amazing. It's brilliant. I just really, really, really like it when people do that. And are there any that you've... Um are the ones that you've looked at then that you've kind of almost you've looked at and you thought, oh God, I wish I thought of doing that with it or I just never thought anybody could do that with it? I think there's been times when people have done stuff that I haven't had time to do and I'm just kind of like, oh damn it, they did it first. Oh well, you know, such is life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Let that one go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of because like, uh, you know, in, in your head you have like a, a thousand million things you want to do with it. I, you just can't do them all when you haven't got time and you've got other work to do and all this stuff. And then someone comes along and they've done it and they've done it really well and it looks really good. And you're like, Oh, okay, well, fine. So like, um, there's, um, uh, a, a guy I, um, I work with Mike Myler. He, um, he is putting together a, uh, a version of it called, I think it's called hyper corpse 
2099, Hypercore 2099 or something like that. Anyway, it's sort of like he is doing the superhero thing that I didn't think could be done with it. Okay. And he's giving it a go. So it's set in like 2099 and it's the superheroes involved in some way. And uh, he's, he's busy working on it. And I can't wait to see what he does with it and how it comes out at the end. But yeah, I mean, if he, if he pulls that off, then um, I will be very impressed and um, slightly disappointed as well because it would mean I was wrong, but also <laughs> very, also very impressed. So we'll see, we'll see. Which leads, which leads me into um, a, a natural extension of, of the point you've just made. Mm-hmm. Do you work in solitude on, or did you work in solitude on What's Old Is New? Did you work with other people? And then when you do, uh, how do you play test these things? So different projects, different answers. So what sold is new was quite solitudinous, solitudinous, solitudinous. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was almost like sitting down to write a novel. Do you know what I mean? I just like sat there and I wrote it and it right. was kind of my, my baby. And I don't think I'd have wanted anyone else to be, you know, jumping in there because, you know, it was, it was my, my creation, but there's a, a project we're working on at the moment called Level Up Advanced Fifth Edition, which is like the biggest thing that I've ever done. Right. And we've got like this team of 20 odd different people working on it now. I'm, I'm more, you know, I, I end up being more of a manager than a, a writer in that sort of thing. Yep. And that is such a, such a different environment. And, and like you mentioned playtests, we've got like public playtests going with thousands and thousands of people. Downloading these documents, then filling out surveys to give us playtest reports on different playtest packets that we put out there. So the game gets kind of like um, iteratively kind of developed in a in a sort of real real time kind of um, what's the what's the word? stress testing environment. I can sense Stu is in there going, why wasn't I on the fucking mailing list? <laughs> you could join the mailing list. Yeah. <laughs> if I get Steve and the guys playing, if you want to know sort of, uh, if you want to anyone to, to, to test um, sort of like inept characters, I think we've pretty much got that covered in I our think, group. I think we could break the game in a day. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah. We're pretty good at finding ways of making things go wrong or um, or not following the obvious path. That's always a good one with Steve. Uh, he's, you like the going off in your little, uh, I could do the thing which looks safe or I'm going to go and stick my head in the uh, in whatever this dangerous place looks. Well, that's exactly what you said, isn't it? You know, hey, look, here's a tavern. Do you want to go in there and have a nice beer? Or over there is a really dark cave. What are you going to do? Cave, 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 every time. What could go wrong? <laughs> so, yeah. Russ, um, yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here because um, oh, no. I'm kind of just in that kind of mood. Um, I'm going to ask you for your favourite games. Now, I'm saying plural because I think I might, you might have kind of, you know, given us sort of, I think in an RPG, we might have, a, a, might have an idea of where you're going to go, but, you know, we'll let you answer that. But I'm also going to ask you because obviously we do talk a lot about board games here. And uh, I'm going to ask you whether you have a, a favourite board game as well. So, two questions. One, what's your favourite RPG and, and why should someone play it? And the second one is, what's your favourite board game? And, and the same question, why why do you think someone should play that? If you say Monopoly and the line, <laughs> the line goes dead, you know why. <laughs> so, favourite RPG, not including my own, yeah? No, you can, you can any in the world, including no, sorry, your own. I won't, no, I won't include my own. I won't, so, I think, 
then I would probably, right now, and this would change if you asked me tomorrow, I would say, I mentioned that Ghostbusters, that 80s Ghostbusters RPG earlier. I would say right at this moment, that, because it's fun and it's just like cheerful and it's kind of low stress. You have a laugh and it just like captures the sort of atmosphere and the feel of those 80s Ghostbusters films just perfectly. And is that a a one-shot? Uh, you can use it as a one shot or you can use it as a campaign. I don't know how long you can play a campaign because it's a bit silly. So I think after a while it would just get a bit, okay, this is getting too stupid now. Right. But yeah, maybe, sh- yeah, short campaigns maybe I reckon is what that's suited for. So that would be that would be my answer at the moment for for that. And then if you ask me again tomorrow, I'll, I'll say something different, I'm sure. And then what was the other question? Board game. Um, yeah, board games. Do you have a favourite board game? And and if so, why do you think someone would enjoy playing that game? What's your take on it? Yeah. I don't really play many board games. Uh, so I did get for, well, not for, for Christmas because I bought it myself, but at Christmas, I bought myself that new Alien board game. Oh, yeah, yeah, another yeah. One another from another Girl board Force, in the core, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got that, and I got all the expansions, too. So I've got it. I haven't had a chance to play it because, well, lockdown and all that stuff, and you can't really do that by Zoom. So, Funnily enough, I've got it as well, and I haven't had a chance to play it because it takes so fucking long to stick the models together. Ah, see, I paid the extra and got them already built. Uh, you, you, can see, you can see that somebody's got the right job, can't you? Uh, oh my god! Not, um, not painted as well, no. But ready? They're not, pa- they're not painted. No, no. Right, right. And, and, and let's be honest, they're never going to get painted. So uh, they're all, they're all going to be grey for the rest of their lives. But yeah, so that's so my my best answer to that question is that's the game that at the moment I want to play the most. Is that a good enough answer? That is a good answer, and I'll tell you what as well. Um, and people will perhaps understand you. A little bit more. What's your dog called? Hudson. Yeah, there we uh-huh. go. But <laughs> I, did, I, did, I, did, I didn't name him though, so. No. All right, here's a challenge then. So uh, Sharon, my wife, can do this. How many of the aliens marines can you name off the top of your head without looking it up? Sharon could do it just like that, just like the lot. All I right. can't. Hicks. Uh-huh. Hudson. Uh-huh. Vasquez. Uh-huh. Apone. Mm-hmm. Stu, help me out. Um, <laughs> I'm not four. I, yeah, uh, dead marine one. Uh, <laughs> uh, who's who's the guy that goes around with Vasquez? You know, and they keep on butting heads together and going, "Yeah, man." The the, the tall guy. Um, I can't remember his name. But there uh, you go. Four. Right. That's it. Yeah. So uh, let me call it. I'm, I'm cheating here. I'm, I'm, I'm calling it. <laughs> I can sense uh, Doctor Google is coming into play here. Frantically googling. Oh, I should have. I actually have aliens. got the um, Alien RPG starter set. It's probably all in there, isn't it? That's in another in another mu- one of my never played games. Yeah, it possibly could be <laughs> the what the the recent one. Yeah, I've got. So they there, did this. There was there was a much older one, but yeah, the recent one. I've I've got I've got the game. I've got the RPG. I've not played it, and I yeah, really this is the the free league. One with the um with the dice pools the uh, yeah 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 had it yeah so here we go we got sold it. Hudson Vasquez Drake Frost Funkmayer, <sighs> Crow Wiz Belsky Dietrich Pharaoh Apone uh, Gorman 
Yep, Gorman's Gorman go. is the the commander, isn't he? Who blows, see the control blows himself up in the tunnel with Vasquez. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah, there you go. But anyway, so your dog's called Hudson. I just thought I'd bring that up because I yes. knew that. And uh, I think it shows, um, yeah. That could have been after Hudson. And also, he's, he, 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 is, he is also the same as the character Hudson as well, a complete dick. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know whether he's like modelling himself off after his namesake or something, but oh my God, that dog's a dick. I have seen pictures <laughs> of him. You, you've come in and things have been ripped to shreds or... The sofa. Yeah. He ate the sofa once. Yeah. <laughs> so, Russ, you, this is what you do for a living. This is how you make your money. This is my job, yes. Right. So, let, t- just talking about something like Judge Dredd, mm. what, that pres- you, that's a licensed product. So, how do you mm-hmm. get into or inside that machine to get access to that licensed product? Is it is it a... Is it a, 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 a not a timeshare, you know, do you have, do you have to, do you have to pay them to use the license or do you, you split the profits or what, how does that work? Both of those things. So you pay them, so you have a, a, a royalty agreement, which is going to be something percent. Yep. Um, 10%, I think, um, for Judge Red for us. But also you have to give them an advance against royalties every year. So there's going to be a minimum amount that you're going to be paying them every year. So even if you don't sell anything, you still have to pay them that much. Shit. But if you do if you do sell a whole load, it comes out of your royalties. Right. I mean, we've sold enough each each year, so it's not a problem. But um, yeah, so, so it's both of those things. You give them an advance against royalties when you sign the contract which is going to be, depending on the property, a few thousand up to, uh, I mean, I, I heard like the uh, Star Wars RPG license was like a hundred grand. Uh, the Star Trek one was, I think about 20, I think, um, from what I heard. Um, the Judge Red one, I'm not really allowed to say what it is because we've got an NDA no, as part of, course, of the license agreement, but, it's, but, but it has a, an amount too. And, and uh, yeah. So, so, the, so did you um, develop it the judge dread part of it before you went to them or did you make sure you'd secure the license before you did it? Yeah, yeah. The latter. So we went up because they're based in Oxford. Right. So we went up there. There was me. My brother came along just because he's a massive Judge Dredd fan even though he doesn't game at all. <laughs> he just said, you're going to Rebellion. Right, I'm coming too. <laughs> so he, he came along uh, and there's, um, who was working for me at the time uh, was Angus Abranson who um, runs a board game shop now. Um, and he, that was kind of my in there because he had worked in the same building as those guys once years ago. Right. So we went up there, just sat in a meeting room in their headquarters in Oxford, and I was like pitching it to them. And I was like thinking, I don't know whether this is going well. And it was really easy and they were really nice. And they just went, yeah, all right. Yeah, sounds good. We'll do that. And I was like, oh, okay. I was <laughs> expecting to have to kind of like fight for this, but okay. So, uh, and yeah, so we did. And uh, signed the contract like two weeks later and we were off. Wow. But presumably in your in your head, you'd thought about it first. I mean, you, you'd decided that, that Judge Dredd was, was a thing that this would fit well with, or was yeah. it just that you love Judge Dredd? Both, both of those things, yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, I've, yeah, I've been reading Judge Dredd comics since I was, yeah, a kid, teenager at least. Um, my brother is an even bigger Judge Dredd fan, and he's probably, like, got every single one, and I, I, I used to read his. So it's kind of like being in the family for all that time as well. Okay. And also, like I said, it, it was one of the influences on the game in the first place. So it was kind of a natural fit anyway. Right. 
And looking at the um, so looking at the well, uh, so I understand there's there's um, there's been releases now. We've got Judge Dredd, obviously, uh, the, sort of the core rules. Um, you've got mm. Strontium Dog now and Rogue yeah. Trooper. Yeah. Um, is there because you know I'm I'm fascinated when I and, and I said sort of when the book first arrived. Um, I was fascinated to see because obviously Judge Dredd's like really prominent, really well known. Um, but I was fascinated to to read the different worlds of 2000 AD. Um, in there, do you mm. see that sort of you know if we go through some of them, you know ABC Warriors, uh, Cabalistics Incorporated, Flesh, is is that where you see this continuing to evolve? Um, you know that there's going to be supplements that will cover um, more. More and more of these. That's the basic idea. Yeah, I don't know which ones we will necessarily do, um, and I don't want to like promise something now and then have someone shout at me in a year's time when I don't do it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's basically the idea. Yeah, yeah. So the license included when we when we signed it, it was the license to the whole of 2000 AD. I think there were like one or two little exceptions for some reason. I can't remember why, but basically the whole of 2000 AD, which was bloody awesome. Um, so we started with Judge Dredd, obviously, because that's the biggest, best well-known one, and that was obviously going to sell the best. And then Rogue Trooper and Strontium Dog are both quite big ones. And yeah. there's, there's like a Rogue Trooper movie being made and stuff as well. So it was kind of, yeah, it seemed like the right time to do that. And then, yeah, we just take it as it goes and uh, see what happens, I guess. Because they're, um, you know, they're, they're hugely sort of diverse properties within that. Uh, sort mm. of, you know, umbrella. Um, and I think that was what I found really interesting. Again, going back to the rules, um, reading like the way the dice pools work and and actually the flexibility of that system just seems, you know, and it goes very much into what you were saying earlier, seemed a really good fit. You know, I could see that you could run sort of most of the the, the properties in there because um, 2000 AD as well, um, you know, I think Pat Mills famously, you know, talks about how it was kind of like the, it was, uh, you know, it's very anti that sort of superhero world. Mm. Um, so yeah, you know, really, really kind of nice fit. Um, and yeah, so uh, and again, looking at the different sort of games in there, you can imagine. Um, <laughs> I keep thinking about sort of you know playing something like you know Flesh or something mm. like that about trying to kind of you know wrestle with the uh, Russell um, wrestle and Russell the, uh, <laughs> the dinosaurs there um, you know and, and kind of how much fun there could be had in there so you know really um, you know I, I you know I'm going a bit fanboy sorry um, <laughs> but yeah really kind of you know reading through the book I was I was impressed to, to, to see all those different properties mentioned in there um, that's kind of the beauty of 2000 AD though isn't it there's so much in there like if you could think of it it's probably there somewhere there's I think in total I mean we in that book we list for a dozen maybe yeah but in total there's got 40 or 50 of them in total so many of them like some of them might have just appeared for a short while back in the eighties or something, but the entire list of different properties and different different like types of stories you can tell with two thousand AD is just massive. I think the beauty there as well is you know, and as someone who runs a game, often the challenge I found sometimes is some of that world building can be mm. where the kind of the challenge is because you worry sometimes about maybe some of the detail that you're either, you know, pitching at the right level or not the right level. And I thought what was really, yeah. you know, really interesting here is actually the level of world building is there. So if you've got the framework and structure and you can really dig into the stories that you can then build and hang them on, you know, if you say something about, you know, uh, Judge Dredd, people have already got sort of, you know, you can visualize and help pitch that. So you don't have to worry about that part of it and you can really get into kind of like the, the game itself. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just like the general sort of um, one of the big benefits of a license probably in the first place is that people know what it is. So if, you, if you're playing the Aliens RPG, you know exactly what's going on before you yeah. start, don't you? You don't have to explain anything. People know. Yes. You know, or Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever. It's, you know, you don't have to do any sort of like pre-game briefing and explain the turgid documents describing your world at length while, while your players start to fall asleep. Yeah, you've, you've, you must have uh, read some of my world building. If you <laughs> um, talking about Turgid, this sounds like a, a segue, uh, but it's uh, I, we have uh, a regular sort of part on the podcast where we ask uh, each other normally uh, for an annoyance, um, something which has uh, bugged us uh, around the hobby. Mm. And uh, I think we have uh, reached out to, to you, and I'm hoping Steve's got his finger I'm poised. poised over his. He's poised over the button. <laughs> so, uh, Russ, this is, this is uh, we're going to play a little intro to it, but this is, uh, I think this is a good time to ask you for your hobby jobby. Hobby. Jobby. Hobby. Jobby. Hobby. Jobby. Go on then, Russ, tell us what your hobby jobby is, a part of the world that you work in that you would happily flush down the toilet. (laughs) First off, that intro is horrible. <laughs> um, so, all right, my one is I had to think carefully about this because I don't want to offend anyone that I might work with. Offend away, <laughs> offend. So, my one is announcements of announcements. So, there's this trend <laughs> which drives me nuts where where some company will just, will like, they'll, first of all, they'll tweet something saying, in a week, We've got a big announcement coming. And to find out what that big announcement is, you've got to tune in to our Twitch stream at 2 a.m. on Saturday. And during that four-hour Twitch stream, we'll tell you when you can find out what the announcement is. And you get this bloody breadcrumb of clues just trying to... And you're just like, just tell me what the bloody game is and when it's coming out. And then I'll decide whether I want to buy it. What is it with all this announcing that you're going to make an announcement? Just make the announcement. Take a breath. Take a breath. Take a breath, man. Drives me nuts. (laughs) And then there (laughs) there was a company that made an announcement last year. And then a month later, they made an announcement that they had made an announcement a month before. It's like, just stop it. Just make an announcement. Stu, I think that's been more angry than any other I know. I'm, 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 I'm taken aback somewhat. I, I'm now thinking I'm going to check through our Twitter feed to see if I announced that I was going to announce that we have Russell coming on the show now. <laughs> I'm slightly nervous. <laughs> Russ, you win you win a major prize there, episode five, and that is the most angry anybody's been. Excellent. Oh, well, probably. Excellent. Except my mum, of course. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And actually I, I'm now thinking back. I, I'm thinking to myself that um, you, you were actually quite restrained. You didn't use <laughs> Steve's range of colourful language. I did not. Well I done. Not. I mean, I, I can read. I can re-record it with added swear words if you want. Well, I actually gave Steve a, a sheet of Judge Dredd swear words to replace his swearing this week. And, drock. Uh, yes, yeah, drock and stom. And uh, uh, Steve, don't be a spug. Yeah, it's one of my, my favourites. Well, I quite like the fact that you actually went, no, drock, brackets, noun, uh, close brackets, or whatever. You actually... <laughs> 
<laughs> or it can be used as a verb, you know, that sort of stuff, which is quite good. Well, I thought I'd be prepared, you know. It's been a few years since I've been at school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they don't use Slate anymore. Unbelievable. Right, Russ. No, they use whiteboard, yes. whiteboards, yeah. Um, Russ, um, that was that was good. I, Thank you. I like that. I'm, I'm um, proud of it. <laughs> you do realise, though, as with all hobby jobbies, that it'll make no fucking difference. <laughs> No, in, in it won't. At all. I've, I've whinged about it enough on my podcast as well. And <laughs> it still makes no difference at all. My podcast, which you did the theme tune for, by the way. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Although I do feel out of let you down because there were a couple of other little segments in there that I was meant to do some music for, but um, I think I moved house and got ours. Uh, just I lost interest, whatever. That's That's right. just, just, we, just we, we got it done. Steve. We got it done. We still got your your theme tune. Your theme tune was awesome. But I'm 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 gonna send you the fanfare over afterwards, and if you feel like you ever want to put that in anywhere, then well, that's free. I'm gonna hire somebody to follow me around everywhere, <laughs> and every time we enter a room, he's gonna play it. And he's gonna have like one of those 1980s boom boxes <laughs> on his shoulder and he's going to play that every time I enter a room it's don't feel pressured to use hobby jobby anywhere though <laughs> that, that could uh, that could go very wrong very quickly so uh, f- let me finish oh no I went to the wrong oh, one th- ah. a total dick that's because I was I was uh, hobby jobby hobby jobby hobby jobby but even though that's the closing of a segment, you mentioned um, the podcast and I wanted to ask you, what, what did you see as the goal of your podcast? Was it to speak to the people that you already engage with on Twitter and who, who've bought your stuff? Was it something that you just wanted to do for yourselves? Was it something, was it something else? What, what was it? Uh, yeah, the last thing really. Um, it was just like, I kind of felt like I've got a sort of fairly big tabletop gaming news website and that's all text based. And I just kind of felt like it needed more. It needed some other way that people could get the same news. So I thought, you know, why not just like once a week, just sit there and just, I was originally I was going to do it myself, just sit there and speak into a microphone. And then I decided that would be fucking boring. No one's going to listen to that. So <laughs> we won't do that. And then um, a friend of mine, Peter said he'd come along and then we just started doing it and it just seemed fun and we just didn't stop. And it's been three years now. I, I didn't, I didn't think it would last three years. I thought it'd last like seven weeks and we go, Oh, this is shit. And we're bored, but we didn't, we kept going and yeah, there we go. Well, you gave me metrics on that. You said if you, if you last seven episodes, then the like, who does um you'll carry on yeah so it's like seven episodes then it's seven months is the next thing these are the like um the, the things where everyone everyone on average stops when podcasts fail right so usually it's after seven episodes then it's seven months and then i think it's something like sort of four or five years or something it's, it's the next one where they all where, where they all fail but i mean you guys did you <clears throat> Had you settled on a format before you started doing it? Because for us, you know, we decided we were just going to chat away. <clears throat> you know, we decided on stuff like the news and the hobby jobby and then four questions to each other yeah. and, and that sort of stuff. Because you guys do sketches and stuff as well. Yeah, I think it sort of happened. Well, I always want to do the sketches just because I like sketch comedy and always fancy myself as like a sketch writer, even though they're not that funny and I'm not that good at it. But they, <laughs> I, 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 I really enjoy it. And my favourite part each week is listening to it 
once once our sound engineers like edited it and cleaned up all the mistakes and put in sound effects and stuff one of my favorite things each week is listening to that sketch each week because i always write them myself and i always think they're hilarious even though no one else does but that's, <laughs> that's all that matters what does what does uh, sharon think by the way does she ever listen to it of course she doesn't <laughs> <laughs> not a bloody chance no no interest whatsoever i mean she's not interested in gaming in like you wouldn't even be able to get her to play snap she won't play any gaming well you know, I share you know your that, pain i share your pain yeah i was you know i did mention i was going to try and get her to do a little advert for the podcast um, yeah well you wouldn't get her to record anything either it won't, it won't happen no and in fact she never even replied i mean how rude <laughs> <laughs> she, she could have she could have just got back to me and said to me steve i think this is a fantastic idea but it's not for me oh, sorry you, you ended up in the spam folder steve yeah. sorry. She basically, how did that happen she just blanked me <laughs> so when we're back making music in the frog and frigate she, i'm gonna give it to her with both barrels on today. <laughs> I'll have the microphone and I'll have the So next time, next, next time she asks you to play something, you're just like, oh, no, yes, no, no. Exactly. I remember, I hold a grudge. Oh, hold on. But well, what was the favourite song? American Pie. Just there sing that go. over and over again all night. Nothing it. else. Just like there the entire go. evening of American Pie. I can I can make I can make her night by playing Creep by Radiohead and destroy it by playing American Pie. <laughs> so Stu, how far down uh, through your novel are you um, with your questions? I, I, I never write that many questions. Oh, I might. Have um, so we've done uh, done that, done that, done that. Inside trouser leg, yeah, covered that off. Yeah, uh, we're all good. Um, to be honest, I there was I, there were a couple of bits I was going to ask you, um, but we kind of already touched upon them. One of the things I was going to ask you about was around uh, solo RPGs, mm. um, and so because uh, I've got no friends, <gasps> oh. I I. I my board games, I tend to buy board games that I can play um, with, uh, play play with myself. No, that sounded wrong. Play by myself. <laughs> that was the word I was looking for. Uh, and there's there's sort of a proliferation of um, of solo role playing games or, or people writing supplements to support. So I've got one. I think I can do D and D five E solo and a couple of, a couple of others. It's sort of designed from the bottom up. And I just sort of wondered, sort of whether you'd played any any of those um, and. Because one of the, the challenges I always think is is achieving kind of the immersion of the game um, mm. when you're on your own uh, is is yeah. difficult, I think. And I just wondered I sort of for, you know, what you thought of it, yeah. really. Yeah, for me personally, it's all about people. It's like, you know, playing an RPG is me hanging out with my friends and having a laugh. And an RPG happens to be what we're playing at the moment, but we could be doing something else. So I don't know. I've never, the closest I've ever come to playing a solo RPG is probably, do you remember like those fighting fantasy books and stuff like that back in yeah. back in the day? That's probably the closest I've ever come to playing one. And even then I cheated all the time anyway and just stuck my fingers in the pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not, yeah, I don't, they're not for me. I, I can see why some people might like them, um, but I don't think I'll ever, I'll ever probably play one. I don't think. I might yeah. give it a try. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try it and find out I really, really like it. And that I'll never play a, a, an RPG with other people ever again. And I'll just lose all my friends. And I <laughs> haven't got any friends. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an interesting... So playing ones where... I mean, like you say, Fighting Fantasy, um, 
you know, very much kind of like I've seen a couple of games actually coming out that are very much like that. I mean, in fact, I think the Call of Cthulhu starter set now, if I remember rightly, has almost got a choose your own adventure uh, sort of intro to the game in there. Um, mm. And it kind of serves a purpose, but it always feels to me like that's kind of like it would be a great way to learn the rules, but I don't know if I'd want to play it all the time. Yeah. I don't know, to be honest. Um, yeah, I should, give, I should give one a try because I'm, I'm just saying I don't think I'd like it, but I might do. Who knows? Who knows? But you've got more friends than I have, so you probably your need is probably less than mine. So you, um... I, I, I get a, I get to play it with my dog. <laughs> as long as he doesn't eat the game. Which he would do, yeah. And of course, nobody, um, nobody wants to come around and play in your garage, Stu. That's the problem. Well, who, who would not want to sit... Uh, with me, with the bins, particularly the dog bin. That one's always good. Uh, that's going to be nice in the summer. Looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> I should be fighting through this swarm of flies to record. Um, nice. Buzzing on the line will be no longer electronic. So, Russ, what what's in the pipeline? What what are you got moving forward that you can actually discuss with a you know? Obviously, you've got your Kickstarter and it's running at the moment, but yeah. you can't you, you know you can't just be. The goal now is to do this. You must have something that you're working on in, in tandem with it. But yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, there's yeah. no secrets. So I, I, I never understood why some companies like regard producing a game as like a state secret. It's just like, it's just a game. So, um, so coming up, I've got this thing called the Awfully Cheerful Engine, which is like, you know, like a comic book, that yep. size and format of paper. Mm-hmm. So it's a role-playing game. It's like 30 pages long, and it's the size and format of a pop, of a comic book. And it's designed to be kind of like um, fun action comedy um, stuff where you can pretty much play anything. You could play like, you know, a talking animal or a robot or an alien or a wizard or an elf or, or, or you know, anything, anything you want. And then, so that's coming up, and that's going to be a Kickstarter probably sort of... I don't know, summer, I think, I guess, depending when that gets finished. So that that's coming up. And I'm really quite excited about that because we're doing a whole load of, um, like, adventures. Each adventure with it is like a standalone thing. So the first one is um, basically, like, it's called Spirits of Manhattan, and it's kind of like Ghostbusters. The second one's called Montana Drones and the Raiders of the Cutty Sark. You can guess what that's Catchy. kind of based on. Catchy. Yeah. <laughs> The next one's called Beam Me Up, so you can guess what that is. <laughs> and the last one's called Strange Science. So there's going to be those four plus the core book, each of which is like a comic book size, really brightly coloured with, and all the writing ins at different angles and stuff, you know, like sort yeah, of like yeah. in a 60s Batman show or something. Yep. So it's really bright and catchy and, you know, striking. And that, that is going to be like the core book and the four four adventures which are all like standalone one session adventures all coming out in a kickstarter sort of summer ish right i guess so how many people do you employ uh trying to get a job to (laughs) so i've got four part-time employees yep and then an army of hundreds of freelancers Right. But they're not they're, they're not like paid a regular amount monthly or anything. Sure. So they're just like, you know, it's gig work, contract work. So either four or or like a hundred, depending how you count it, I guess. But presumably the, the the guys who do the artwork are they freelance? Yeah, artwork tends to be freelance. Um the people who do the so I've got two publishing administrators. And these are the people that sort of talk to shippers and warehouses yeah. and printers and 
do all the tax and pay bills and you know all that crap. It's just so the, the 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 sort of boring logistics behind the scenes, which nobody's interested in. But if you don't have it, your company doesn't operate. Do you know what I mean? It's like payroll and sure. all that stuff. Uh, and then I got two line managers. So there's Mark Langworthy. He runs uh, 2000 AD for me. And there's uh, Mike Myler, and he runs uh, Level Up, which is the advanced D&D 5th edition um, thing that's being developed right now. So those those four are all like part-timers. They get paid a certain amount a month, flat amount a month. And then um, everyone else is, is, is like a freelance writer or a freelance artist, basically. So when you get to that point where... You know, a, a project falls over the edge and it's it's out there. And that, do you find that your interest in it diminishes or not? Uh, sometimes it depends on the project, I guess. Um, you know, I I don't know. Uh, <laughs> don't, say, don't, don't answer it if you don't want to answer it. I, uh, no, no, I don't mind answering it. I'm just trying to try to work out what the answer is. Um, I've never thought about it before. Um, I would say, like, my interest in everything waxes and wanes constantly. Right. So, like, whatever it is. So, like, you know, one one week I might be really into one thing. Next week I'm really into something else. Third week I'm into something else. And then I'm back to the first thing again. Yeah. And it, 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 I'm, I don't know. Is that, like, attention deficit disorder or something? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it is. But, you know, no, it's just kind of, yeah, it just changes constantly depending what I'm, I'm immersed in at the moment, I guess. Yeah. Because I get quite focused, I think, a bit sort of like when I'm working on a thing, I'm working on that thing and that's all I'm doing. Sure. And like Sharon's trying to talk to me and I'm like, you know, she's been talking to me for an hour and I haven't even noticed because I'm like <laughs> doing, doing, doing this thing and I'm, that's all I'm doing. And then that will be like that for two weeks and then I'll be doing something else. And then I won't think about the other thing for another two weeks. Yeah. So I don't, know, do- if that, I don't know if that's normal or weird or what, I don't know. And, and do you find that sort of, if you like, being able to look behind the curtain because you know how the industry works, has that diminished your enjoyment of playing? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, no, no, it hasn't at all. No. Well, one thing it does, and I guess it's just the same in any creative kind of industry, is you do when you're... I like... I always think like when a film director is watching a film, he's noticing camera angles yeah, and stuff like that. And think, Oh, that was a clever cut or, Oh, look at this. This is a really long tracking shot. That's really clever, which is the stuff that you don't really notice so much yourself when you're watching it. Yeah. And so you get a bit of that and you sort of go, Oh, that that's clever. That mechanic or had, Oh yeah, that's good. So you, or bloody hell, that art's amazing on that page, you know, Oh, how did they afford to get him? You know, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So you get a little bit of that. But no, it doesn't, it doesn't, it maybe distracts a little occasionally, but it doesn't ruin, ruin the game. No. Actually, you just mentioned something there um, that I was going to ask. So the Judge Dredd stuff. Yeah. Um, obviously it's a licensed product. Do hmm. they, are they the guys who insist on, uh, do, do they have their staff um, drawing team or do you freelance that out and then have to get their approval to that it's okay? Uh, so we use their art. So one of the cool things about a license thing is like when you're making a game, the biggest bill is always going to be the art. Yeah. It's really expensive and you've got to get a lot of art for like a tabletop RPG book that's like 300 pages long and yeah. it's like letter size, you know, big book. So that, you know, that's going to run into tens of thousands, that art. 
But if you've got a licensed product, suddenly you've got access. I've got, like, we've got access to 40 years of 2000 AD art, wow. and they've just given us access to this archive. And yeah, so the art bill is basically zero. It's amazing. And you get an opportunity just to drift through it all. Yeah. And just yeah. go, wow, look at that. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. I mean, they have to approve everything because every license thing, once you've done something, you've got to send it to them. Yeah. And then you've got to wait for them to approve it before you can sell it. Right. So that, that is, that will always happen because otherwise, for all they know, we could be turning just straight into a Nazi or something. Sure. And that is not something they would want us to do, no. surprisingly enough. Of course. So, <laughs> so yeah, they have to approve everything. Uh, as, as, as the time goes on, the approval process gets quicker because, you know, they, you develop a relationship with them and they trust you. Sure. So I, I had one more question I was going to ask, and it's kind of, I'm conscious that sort of uh, we, you've, we've been giving you a light sort of toasting here. And this is, uh, this is kind of a, um, there could be a long or a short answer to this. This is kind of very much in your, in your hands. You're so, building this up now. It's, I know, yeah, I know. It's going to be really anticlimactic. Really it, it will be. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm on tenterhooks. So it's, it, yeah. yeah. It's what can this going, question be? Tell me, tell me, uh, please. Uh, well, I was going to announce that I'm trying to announce the question before uh, <laughs> asking the question. Um, I hear it's very in this year. Um, <laughs> what I was thinking was is so someone who has an idea, right? And they think, mm. um, you know, what, what would you say to someone um, who is thinking of either getting into the industry or someone who has an idea? Well, you know, because we've talked about Kickstarter um, and we've seen sort of, you know, there are sort of significant successes of there where people are sort of, you know, kind of like, um, it's quite a, a healthy indie RPG scene on there mm. um, where it can be just like sort of a couple of mates getting together and putting some together or you get people who sort of like genuinely want to get involved in the industry. What, mm. what would you say as someone who's kind of made that journey, what would your advice to someone be if they've got an idea and they, you know, perhaps want to get involved in the industry? So I guess what you've got to decide is do you want to be a creator or a publisher? Because they're two very, very different jobs and two really different skill sets. And being a publisher is, you know, it's admin and spreadsheets and taxes and logistics and shippings and warehouses and all that stuff, which is probably, if you've got an idea in your head, it's probably not what you're thinking about when you've got that idea in your head and you want to make that thing happen. So the first thing you've got to decide, do you want to be a creator or a publisher? Uh, or, or both. I mean, I kind of did both, but I've kind of managed to shift all the publishing side of it off to other people now. But that took years before I was able to do that. And the other thing I'd say, just go Kickstarter, literally just always, at the moment, Kickstarter is the single best uh, way to get your stuff out there. Like bar none, bar anything else, Kickstarter is where it's at. It like it does your publicity for you, it does your marketing for you, it does, it does, it does everything for you. And um, yeah, that, that is what I would say. So Steve, we'll get our uh, act together and get the uh, bold and board games uh, first release out the door. Yeah, I'm struggling to think what that might be. <laughs> um, I'll go away and think about it um, after this. 
Do you know, I was, I was so disappointed when I found out this wasn't a video thing because I was already, as per your written instructions, to shave my head. To, and, 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 and the memo did say all bodily hair as well. I did notice. And I thought, well, that's a bit weird. But okay, I mean, you know, if that's the rules, that's the rules. But uh, I've, I've been keeping my hair short, keeping my beard yeah. short, but my eyebrows have gone nuts. Okay. I've got these nuclear... Oh, Dennis Healy's. These nuclear things, you know, I get... Maria to pluck one out every now and then uh, and a week later it's twice as long as it was before she plucks wow. it out it just got <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's just getting old though isn't it it? Is get, you're right it's yeah. getting old yeah out your yeah. nose out your ears out your eyebrows <laughs> it's a horrible horrible thing getting old yeah all that's got to happen now is I just start to shit myself involuntarily and uh, <laughs> what are we <laughs> well, I, I, I had uh, loads of jalapenos in my Mexican last night, and Ooh. so that's happening to me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stu, if you've asked questions, am I allowed to play this fanfare again? Yes. Right. Let's do it, do it. I'm doing it. There's that, there's that guy with his boombox standing behind. I, I tell you, I, I, I was in all of my Ikea shelves trying to find that kazoo <laughs> over the weekend. Um, how do we tie it all up to you? I, f- I figure you should do it. Russ, uh, let me just mm-hmm. say thank you very much for giving up your Sunday. Uh, no, I'm, well, I'm going to cut that bit. Uh, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> Russ, I know how to do it. I use your words. You can do it. Russ, thank you very much for giving up some of your precious time to spend spend it with us because we really do appreciate that. You're a wizard, Harry. Um, And, uh, you know, it's, it's been great. It's actually been quite nice. Not just having to listen to Stu drone on uh, and <laughs> talk to somebody else for a while. Um, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much. Over to you, Stu. Yeah, I was just going to second that, really. Um, you uh, hold the title of being the greatest ever guest on the podcast. <laughs> yes, excellent. How long, um, how long will that last? Have you, have you got another guest lined up? Who's my, who's my, who's my competition? That's what I want to know. Nobody at the moment. <laughs> we might have to call in the listener, Steve. Uh, you know it's going to happen. <laughs> I, I had intended, I'd fully intended to get her um on this, not live, but just to pre-record her going, we don't like any of that Billy Connolly stuff. <laughs> but I didn't get round to it. She wasn't in when I phoned us today, so. I kind of always wanted to get my dad on my podcast because he knows absolutely nothing about role-playing games. I don't think he even knows what one is. I don't think he's got the slightest idea what I do for a living, apart from <laughs> that I write stuff sometimes. And I always wanted to just get him on the podcast just to see how bewildered he gets about what they're talking about. That's a brilliant idea. Maybe, a, maybe we will get her. We'll do we'll do the Romesh Ranganathan thing, and I'll get my mum to phone in, or we'll phone her once. Yeah, all, all, all the comedians are doing that now. Aren't they, they are, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, we're just getting their mums in. I think the the thing that that falls down on is that neither Stu nor I are comedians. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> Stu, you've gone quiet, mate. Oh, I was just taken aback by that. I thought this was <laughs> it was solid gold material here. <laughs> 
Unbelievable. Um, no, I was just going to say again, just to, to second what Steve said, it's been really great having you, um, uh, you know, on here today. Um, not allowed to say the day because <laughs> Steve worded it out. Um, but, you know, thanks for giving up your time um, and speaking to a couple of, um, uh, I don't really know how to describe us, a couple of chances who decided to start a, a, a podcast to, to sort of uh, chat about well, as we said, talking cod shit uh, mm. was how it's described one week. Um, really fascinating insight into what it's like to to be uh, in the in the machine, uh, which is uh, the RPG industry. Um, and uh, you know, really nice to talk to you about. Um, obviously, you know, things you've been working on, the things you're doing, and uh, the things you got coming up. So, yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks. Well, I'd like to say that I enjoyed it, but I didn't. This is the worst <laughs> afternoon. <that> I- <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I have enjoyed it a lot. Thank you for having it, me. That's an hour and a half. Uh, you'll never get back. <laughs> yes, that is very true. <laughs> yeah, but at least you. At least you had two people who were listening to you. Unlike your, unlike your wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, I'm going to hit this button. Yeah.